Amen. Uh, well, you can have a seat. Uh, and good morning. Howdy. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here at Anderson College. Uh, and man, I am just so excited to be with you. I am honored, especially if you are new here. Uh, we also are just excited to talk with you. So if you are new, man, we would love to see you after the service. We would love to give you more information about maybe how we can help you find your place here at Grace. And so at the end of the service, there's going to be a table at the back where we would love to, again, just hand you a gift and have that conversation. Uh, if you've never been to Growth Track, uh, it is your best opportunity to learn more about who we are as a church and how God has equipped you as an, as an individual. And then what can we accomplish together? That's what Growth Track is designed to do, to help you find a place to belong and also a place to build into the body of Christ. So if you've never been to one, it's happening right now, right across the sidewalk. Uh, but it's also going to happen again next week at 11 a.m. Uh, we would love to see you there to give you that information to point you in the right direction. <laughs> Uh, also, if you have any questions throughout the week uh, about our, our church, about ways to get plugged in, um, maybe you just want to meet up with someone and have a conversation, well, you can always just send us a text. Uh, this number is open 24-7. You can reach out. Um, we would love to connect with you and help you find maybe your next step. Uh, you know, this, this morning we're stepping into a brand new series uh, that I'm really excited about. It's a brand new series that I think is going to be uh, very helpful. Uh, our goal uh, is essentially to better understand who we are and how God has designed us to, to function and live in this world. You see, God designed people uh, to be physical, emotional, and spiritual beings. He designed us holistically with all these different facets uh, of our identity of who we are. And so over the next four weeks, what we're doing is we're taking time uh, to specifically look at human sexuality. And we're going to be looking at it through God's design that he created the world's distortions that we might encounter. But then ultimately find the redemption that all of us can experience through faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we uh, start into this topic, I, I want to just be <laughs> obvious here in saying it's, it's huge, right? This is an enormous topic. And so we're not going to cover everything comprehensively in the next 30 minutes. All right, so because of that, I have three uh, kind of just simple encouragements for you. Is that as we move through this series over the next four weeks, I would first and foremost encourage you to come back next week. To come and to continue to learn with us from the Word of God about what He says about our sexuality. I would also encourage you to not just learn with us together in community, but that you would learn on your own. To do that, uh, we've actually designed and put together a package, just launched uh, a reading plan in Scripture that walks you through this related topic that kind of is in cooperation with our Sunday series. And so if you have a Bible app on your phone, um, it's probably this one. This little icon is probably what you see on your screen. Uh, and I would encourage you to use that uh, to go and, and, and open up uh, our the Bible app. And if you go, uh, even right now, you can do it. You can pull out your phone and just go there. And there's uh, a little tab at the bottom for plans. And if you go to those reading plans, click the little button, you can search. And if you search uh, for Grace College, it'll pop up or... What I discovered last night, I'm pretty sure, uh, if you just search sex, because, I mean, that's what you want to type into a Bible app, right? And you, if you search for sex under plants, I think we're the top hit. We're, we're right up there at the top. Um, and it's, it's a, basically, like I said, it's just scripture. It's so that you can better immerse yourself in God's word uh, through this reading plan in a conjunction and cooperation with what we're covering on Sundays. right? Because our goal is to start a conversation. Right? We just want to start a conversation with Christ at the center. And so my last encouragement is that you would bring a friend, that you would bring someone that you know in your life who would benefit from hearing God's truth and seeing God's love. Because that's 
our, our, our goal, right? Is every single week we want to be pointing people to the truth and the love that God has given us, that he's poured out for us through Jesus Christ. And if you want to keep talking, man, I would, I would love that. Please, uh, you know, you can text that number or I would say you can just email me. Just reach out to me directly. Email me and let me know uh, if you have any questions or concerns, if you want to meet up. Man, I, I would love to continue this conversation with you personally. Uh, and, and I would love to point you to resources that we have, like a, women's, a college women's Bible study that we just started, that's just now launching, that uh, is essentially focused on God's power to heal and his power to redeem the wounds that are created by sexual sin. I mean, I, I would love to point you in those directions uh, because I know that as we step into this series, there's a lot of confusion. I mean, that, that's, that's why we wanted to set this thing up is because we know, I mean, there's so much confusion and struggle when it comes to the topic of our sexuality. Specifically, I mean, a lot of you guys gave us feedback last week that was so helpful uh, in, in the form of a survey where you told us about kind of where you are in, in this topic. And one of the things that just staggered me was the significant number of you who have struggled personally with your gender identity. And an even greater number of you who have maybe not struggled personally, but have had a friend go through it, that you've walked through, that you, you've, you've had those conversations, you've asked those questions, you've, you've tried to love and support someone well. 44% of you, almost half of you, have experienced that. And I'll tell you, for the other you know, 56%, it's only a matter of time as this issue becomes more and more prevalent in our society, in our world. And... The reason we wanted to step into this is because we know that when we hit confusing times, when we hit a difficult topic, our natural instinct as people is actually to look inward. Right? Our natural instinct is to kind of search within. Right? That's what our society preaches. It's individualism. It's like, hey, follow your heart. Like, chase your bliss. Like, whatever you decide for you is going to be your truth. Right? But then whatever they decide for them is going to be theirs. And, and what's so tragic, what's so self-defeating about that philosophy is that ultimately, if we're all just kind of looking inward, if we're looking inward for answers, then we're just going to perpetuate this cycle of confusion. P-A-R-A-K-G-G-T Penguin. It's not a penguin, it's a bird. Oh yeah, good job. I, 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 A. Mouse. We're confused, right? And in and of ourselves, we don't always have the answers. And I would just love for us to take a moment. Yeah, we laugh at the kid, but can we just appreciate for a moment this thumbnail titling that's going on right here? When you act like you know what you're doing. Crying face. We're all confused, right? That's the point. We're all confused. And so rather than looking in, rather than searching ourselves for more answers, rather than perpetuating the cycle, what I believe is a better course of action, what I think is a better way, is to actually approach and seek answers from our Creator. Because with any source, right, with any, with any topic, with any issue, I mean, the, the creator of that, right, whoever's kind of overseeing it, the authority over it, man, that's going to be where answers are actually found. That's going to be what's actually going to provide clarity in the midst of confusion. The creator is always going to be the person who cuts through the confusion and brings clarity. Right? We, we see this. You're, right? Your teacher knows the answers to those questions on the test. Right? Your parents know why they made the decision where you 
couldn't drive out too late, and you're like, mom, you know, whatever. Like they, the creator of these things, they're the ones that actually know. They have the answers. They they have the clarity that we so desperately long for. And so as we approach this topic, I mean, I know that we are coming from a lot of different uh, backgrounds, a lot of different perspectives that deeply influence our thoughts and our feelings. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, just full transparency. I have never felt the level of anxiety and, and, and tension and, and, and conflict about a morning than I have preparing for today over the last few weeks. I mean, I started reading and researching at the end of the spring, last spring, for this topic, for this morning. And in the last few weeks leading up, when we're kind of putting the final touches on things, man, I can't tell you, I've been torn up. I've been so anxious. And I think I realized a couple days ago, that that anxiety was was rooted. I mean, some of it's in pride and sin, right? Some of it's in like not wanting to offend, not like wanting wanting people to accept me and like me. I, I, you know, and that's that's some of it that needed to be rooted out. I think another part of it is that that tension is is just simply where we are. That anxiety is produced by a tension that we're trying to hold. We are smack dab in the middle of a tension between truth and love, and that's a tension that Jesus Christ handled perfectly. Repeatedly throughout scripture in the gospels, it tells us that Jesus Christ was full of grace and full of truth, that he spoke the truth in love, but that he perfectly maintained that tension. But I'm not Jesus. And so it's really hard. It's really hard for me to know, I mean, where's that balance? It's not a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. And so honestly, what I realized this past week is that, I mean, I had all of these, all these articles and all this evidence and all these different examples and illustrations and points and arguments and all these different things. And I cannot tell you how much in the past week that I just cut. That I just threw out. Because what I realized is that in this time, in this moment, I don't want to just give you my thoughts. I don't want to just give you what I think or what I found. Or what I, I wanted to show you the word, the truth that God has given us. It's not my thoughts. It's God's truth. That's where we need to spend our time. That's how we need to, to, to search for answers is going to the creator. And so as we walk through this topic, man, I, I want you to hear the truth that God loves you. That I love you. I do not want you to walk out of here believing the lie that you don't belong, that you're not welcomed, that God thinks less of you, that I think less. Man, regardless of background behavior, I love you so deeply. And I want you to know that God loves you too much to leave you alone. That God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty that we incurred on our own. That God loves you so much that he wants what's best for you. Right? You and God want the same thing for your life. What's best. That's what God wants for you. And so he's given us his word that's filled with wisdom and how to live a life that's most satisfying despite the struggles created by sin. This is why I believe that we can trust God's design for our gender identity, his direction for our sexual desires. I don't want to share 
my thoughts and my opinions and my, my strategies, my tips. Man, I want to share with you God's truth. And so in the next two weeks, right, weeks two and three, what we're going to do is we're going to look practically at how do we walk through our own struggles? How do we walk alongside others as they encounter theirs? And then the fourth week, we're going to be looking way more closely at God's direction for our sexual desires. But today, we're starting a few steps back in the creation account. And we're looking at what is God's original design for our gender. And what I think we're going to see, what what I have found through studying his word, is three simple truths. That our gender was created to be distinct. That through time and sin, our gender was distorted. And that ultimately for us here and now, I mean, that gender cannot define our value, purpose, or identity. You just can't. Now, what I mean by saying our gender is distinct is that when we look in the creation account, Genesis 1, it's, it's repeated actually in Genesis 5. Uh, it tells us that God created humankind, and when he did this, he made them in the likeness of God, of himself. And so he created them male and female, and when they were created, he blessed them and he named them humankind. Literally right here, the word that we're seeing in Hebrew is he says he created Adam. Humankind is Adam. It's where we get the name Adam, right? And that is simply the Hebrew term for humanity, humankind. God says, I created all of humanity with my image. In other words, all people everywhere, background, behavior, race, creed, whatever, like every single one of us, we are made in the image of God. We have a shared value that's true in every single one of us. All of us. And yet in the midst of that shared value, God also created specific purpose. He created male and Female. These words, zakar for male, negeva for, for female. It's these specific terms. They're saying, yeah, the man and the woman, right? This is what he created. Humanity was made, right? Shared value, but specific purpose. And this is something that Jesus looks back to. When people ask him about the role of men and women, specifically in a marriage, Jesus points him back to right here. He points him back to Genesis 5, Genesis 1. He says, well, if you remember, God designed it to function a certain way. He designed you with shared value. He also designed you with specific purpose. Right? God's original intent is that our biology would be interwoven with our behavior. That our design would be distinct. And that it would equip us for a direction that he provided, right? He designed us as a people with a purpose. That if we were to look at Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, we would see, man, you are built for something, right? We would see there is a purpose and a, and a strategy. There's an intentionality behind how God just designed you biologically, f- physiologically, right? That would be evident right from the get-go.
There is a clear design and purpose to that box, right? To just frustrate you forever. That is its design. That is its purpose. God created humanity, Genesis 1, Genesis 5, Genesis 2, what we'll look at in a second, with biological distinction that was meant to be enjoyed, that was meant to be expressed, that was meant to be used according to his design and his direction, right? We, we were created with this specific purpose in mind, and we see this reiterated through Scripture, where men and women are given roles and responsibilities that, that, that play to their strengths, Right, time and again, especially in the context of, of families, uh, of a church body, we see time and time again where, where over and over there are specific roles and responsibilities given to men and to women specifically. And it's not always even just a job. It's not like, okay, well, you go mow the lawn and then you go walk the dog or you whatever. You know, like that's not the, the way it works. It's not a job chart in your house where you're like, paper towels. We all need to buy paper towels. Like, you just not... It's not dividing up the world in that way. Instead, it's more of a mindset and, and, a, and a mission. It's more of kind of a character issue. Where, where many times what we see given to men is this responsibility to be leading and protecting, to be advocates, to be sacrificing themselves, laying down their lives for, for the betterment of other people. What we see time and time again in Scripture is women given this role of responsibility to love, to support people, to, to lend their strength as they walk alongside of another individual, using that empathy, that compassion that comes more naturally. Right? There's overlap for sure. We're all called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? We're all called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're, we're called to these overlapping missions to make disciples, but, but there's distinction in the midst of that, and that's something that can be beautiful. It's something that Adam saw right from the get-go. When God created Adam, he had him look at all the animals, and what we see is that Adam found no person, no, nothing that would complete him. There was nothing that, that fit with him, right? He's like, man, these animals are awesome. That aardvark is so cool. He just doesn't get my heart, right? He doesn't, doesn't understand the, the longings of my soul. That, that monkey's super like funny, but man, he just doesn't love a sunset the way that I do. Like there just wasn't that connection. And so God put Adam to sleep and he created woman and he brought Eve to Adam. And then the man said this one at last, bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. He uses wordplay here. He says, this is the Isha, for she was taken out of Ish. He says, man, finally, what's happened is as I've found someone who can complete me, someone who can complement me, someone who I can work alongside of. Because immediately after this, God gives them responsibilities. He gives them a job. He gives them work. He says, hey, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to go out. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to exercise dominion over it. I want you to create. I want you to cultivate. He says, you got to do this stuff together. He doesn't just say, all right, now you guys just sit back and relax. And remember the aardvark that you just kind of tossed to the side earlier? He's still going to bring you some coconuts. And you're going to love it. Like, or what, like he doesn't say, like, just relax and stare in each other's eyes. He says, i got work for you to do. Because God designed us to have these distinctions that just work beautifully together in harmony. That suddenly we work better together when we're, when we're together, right? We work better when we're together. That's just, that's just the way it is. Ideally, we should have this beautiful complement when men and women are actually exercising their distinct gifts alongside of one another. It's just that perfect pairing. First, they're sour. Then they're sweet. Oh, thanks. Sour Patch Kids. Sour, sweet, gone. Who's number four? 
first they're sour. <laughs> then they're sweet. Oh. Sour Patch Kids. Sour, sweet, gone. It's that perfect pairing. Some of us love that sour and sweet, man. We, we go crazy for it. Our mouths are already watering. We're like, oh, yes, okay. And you go to AGB. Man, but we see this play out in our world where you just have that perfect pairing. Man, maybe it's, maybe it's the, the, the peanut butter and the jelly. Man, it's the chips and the salsa. It's the Ron Weasley and Hermione Granger, right? The Harry and Jenny? No. <laughs> no. Like, that's garbage one. But ideally, when we find these distinctions, they could be celebrated. They should be enjoyed. God designed us with this intentionally, with this as, uh, you know, as an original purpose. And yet there's something in us that when we see this idea, or when we hear these words, there's something in us that kind of pushes back. Why? Because there's, we haven't always seen this play out. Maybe we think about our family environment. We're like, man, it wasn't like that. My mom and dad, man, they're at each other's throats all the time. Maybe we look at just our normal lives. We're like, man, you know, God has created us to be able to celebrate these differences, not just in marriage, but even just as brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? We're better together because we're men and women in diversity here right now. This is, this is better. We complement each other, even outside of romantic relationships. And yet, we again, we look at that, we're like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know. I see that, right? Have you been to my group project? Have you seen Stacy? Like, have you seen that play out? There's something that happened that distorted what should have been wonderful. Something that broke what should have been beautiful. This doesn't feel right. And there's even others of us, there's some of us that, that struggle. We feel like, no, like, man, I'm, I look one way, I'm built one way, but I mean, I want to behave in a different one. I want to separate my biology from my gender identity. Or feel like, I feel like I should separate the way I'm built from my sexual expression. Or man, I, I feel like I should at least affirm others if that's their decision. Why? Why do we have this desire? Why do we have this, this, this movement, this stirring to, to simply just dismiss God's design in favor of our own desires? Well, when we look in Scripture, we find that it's the result of the fact that our gender was distorted. That it is broken. That it is, that it, yeah, it's, it's not always beautiful. That it's not always working wonderfully. That it's not always necessarily a moment worth celebrating. Why? Because sin came into this world. God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, I want you to experience all the joys of my provision, but I have one thing to prohibit you from. I have one prohibition. I don't want you to eat from this one tree. And they did it. God says, I want you to trust that I love you, that I want what's best for you. And and Adam and Eve believed the lie that God didn't. And so they ate of the fruit. And so what happened is that as soon as they disobeyed, as soon as they stepped outside of the wisdom and will of God, their eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. They made coverings for themselves. Sin broke everything about who we are and about how we feel. And suddenly we all struggle with that same lie. Right? That one lie that I think is at the root of all of our hearts. It's in the back of all of our minds. That one lie that Adam and Eve bought into. But they believed that deceiving question of does God really, truly love me? Does God really want what's best? Does God really know what's best? Does he really love me enough 
to set me on the right path? Man, that is the question that I still wrestle with. When we get to decision points and and moments in our lives where we're choosing this path or that path or this person or that person, man, when we get to those moments, that's the question that's ultimately at the root. Does God really know what's best? Does God really love me enough to point me in the right direction? And suddenly, the sin, man, that lie that has infected all of our hearts, man, it's, it's led us to this point where our differences with one another, man, it's difficult. Differences can be so difficult now. Man, the, the, the intimacy that God designed for us to experience with one another, it's interrupted. The relationship between us and other people and with us and the God of the universe, it's, it's broken, right? Not just that relationship, but even our behavior. Adam and Eve, their, their first crop of kids, man, one of their sons murdered the other one. Right out of the gate. Behavior was broken immediately by sin. The design is distorted. And suddenly we find ourselves at war with other people and even within ourselves. Suddenly we find ourselves at war in our hearts and minds. Why? Because we have these feelings that lead us in one way. And yet when we run down that way, it it doesn't work out. Or those feelings change. Suddenly we find ourselves as broken individuals with broken minds and broken hearts with feelings that are so very real but are so very unreliable. We felt this. I mean, we felt a certain way about a person or a a strategy or a a position. We felt one way about, man, where we were going to college or where we were going to, whatever, a decision we were going to make. And all of a sudden that feeling, it changed. Why? Because our minds are deceitful. This is what Bible or what scripture stresses over and over again. It's in Jeremiah 17, that the human mind is more deceitful than anything else. It's incurably bad. Who can understand it? Scripture tells us that our thoughts mean they're, they're broken. We've seen this play out in maybe our lives or, or other people's lives. We're significant mental issues can arise, whether through, you know, something wrong with us physiologically. It could be something incurred by, started up by, by trauma. But suddenly mental disorders, man, they're, they're out there. We struggle with things like anxiety or depression where we're, our view of reality is distorted. We, we see people, man, struggle through things like schizophrenia, se- severe mental disorders where, where their view, again, of reality is just, it's just wrong. There's paranoia or there's voices, man. It's, it's, it's a broken view of what actually is. We've seen people, or maybe we've personally struggled through disorders, mental disorders like anorexia. Where again, just the view of reality is wrong. Uh, uh, someone struggling with it could see themselves as, as horribly overweight when in reality they're just wasting away. We see people struggle with issues like gender dysphoria. Where they see, they're like, man, I, I'm built in one way, but I feel differently. And what we find in Scripture is that those feelings are simply not reality. They're not always re- reliable. If this is something that our society knows. That people, that our thoughts are, are skewed and broken. We fall into things like confirmation bias. It's one of my favorite things to learn about in psychology. It was, it was called out by ancient Greek philosophers. It's thousands of years old. This idea that, that ultimately we as people not only desire to be right, but we also have a desire to have always been right. Meaning that whenever we encounter new information, we want it to support our pre-existing assumptions. And so we will reinterpret things to support what we already decided before we ever looked up any information. Warren Buffett, for some reason, talked about this. And he said, the great quote, what the human being is best at doing 
is interpreting all new information so that their prior conclusions remain intact. See, what happens is that we have these feelings and it leads us down the path we don't want to go on. And I'll tell you, those feelings themselves, they're not necessarily sinful. Right? Our feelings are not sinful in and of themselves, but our response to them might be. Christ himself was tempted. Right? Christ himself never calls out, condemns anyone because of a, a thought that they have or a feeling that they have, an attraction that they might feel. He doesn't, he doesn't condemn anyone for that. He himself was tempted. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's crucified, and he's praying to God, and he says, hey, I have a different desire. He says, God, I feel like I would like to go a different route. He says, if there's any way that this cup can pass for me, I'll take it. If there's any other way to save this world other than by me taking on everyone's sin and dying for it, man, sign me up. Let's go that route. Right? He had this feeling, but what was so important was the way he responded to it. What was so incredible was how he perfectly responded and followed through on that feeling where he says, God, I feel this way. God, I have this different desire, but ultimately... I want your will to be done and not my own. Ultimately, I trust you and your plan. And I want to see your direction carried out. Our feelings aren't sinful, but our response might be. And it can take us down some dark paths. Proverbs puts this this way. He says that there's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way that actually leads to death. Not only... Are our minds deceitful, but our desires can be self-destructive. And they often are. Where we start off with this idea or this goal or this feeling that seems so right in the moment. And yet it takes us to a place that we never wanted to be. Lovely. Purple panda. Oh, is it coming? Oh, oh. Well, there he is. Look, here's a panda. Hello, purple panda. Oh, Just stay right here. Can we just all agree that there's something about kids terrified at a panda that just fills our hearts, right? Why? Because we're broken by sin, right? And also because... We know this started with such great intentions, right? The, the idea and the, mind, the motivation was so good. Someone was like, man, let's entertain these kids. Let's roll out this character from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Everyone's going to love it. They're all going to think it's great. Pain is going to roll out. It's going to get high fives for days. But what happens? It leads them to the place they never wanted to be. God says you're going to have desires that seem right, but ultimately lead to death and destruction. That's the reality. Is that we have these great ideas for that purple panda of dating that person, of going down that route, of making that decision, of adopting that lifestyle, of taking that job. I mean, we have these great desires, and yet in the end, what happens is it's completely self-destructive. Because what we see in Scripture and what I see play out in life after life after life after life is that if we are rejecting, if we're living in a way where we are rejecting the wisdom and the will of God, what happens is it always results in anger, pain, and regret. Every time. God says, I, don't just, I didn't just make you, I love you. And I want to give you wisdom for how to find a satisfying life and how to walk in freedom and in life in this world. And when we reject that, I mean, it should be no surprise that it leads us down a path of death. 
So how should we feel, man? Who are we? And how should we feel in the midst of all this brokenness? I think what we find in Scripture, again, is that we just have to ultimately accept that our gender can never, cannot, will not define who we are. It is not the end-all, be-all of our value, purpose, or identity. In John chapter 11, Jesus Christ is ministering to a bunch of people, and some, people, some friends of him come up and they say, Hey, uh, your friend Lazarus, one of your best buds, I mean, he's really sick. He needs you to come heal him. And Jesus is like, All right, I'll go in a few days. I'll wait. And so Jesus waits a few days, and Lazarus dies. And Jesus starts to go to see him, right, to go to that town. And everyone's confused. His disciples, his followers are like, man, what, what's going on? Like, why'd you walk so slow? Like, what's, why'd you wait so long? Like, what's going on? And when he shows up and he sees Lazarus' sisters, these Mary and Martha, these other great friends of his, these, these, these women that he had wonderful community with, he says, when they walk up, man, they're confused and they're upset. And they've got questions, and they've got frustrations. And ultimately, when they come and see Jesus, Mary runs out, and she falls at his feet. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's bringing an accusation. Why? Because she's lashing out in confusion. She says, Jesus, why weren't you here? If you had just shown up, if you had just gone off your butt and come here, when we asked you to come, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. I wouldn't be grieving the death of my brother. I wouldn't have to be going through all this stuff. I wouldn't be grieving. I wouldn't be in this pain. And when Jesus sees this, when he sees her pain, and when he sees the pain and the grieving of the the weeping of the people around her, he was intensely moved. He was moved in his spirit. He was greatly distressed. And so he asked, where have you laid him? And the people replied, Lord, come, see. And when they take him to the tomb and he sees the grief, he sees the weeping, he's moved in his spirit, he just breaks down and he weeps. This is the response of our God and Savior in the face of the destruction brought by sin. He weeps. And he sees our pain. It breaks his heart. He sees our questions. He sees our confusion. And he hates it. He sees the struggle. And he weeps. And what's so beautiful about John chapter 11 is that it shows us not only the empathy of our God, but it shows us his power to bring a solution to that struggle. Because when he sees that pain, what he does is he brings a better promise. And he sees that struggle and he brings a greater salvation. He knows that in that moment, they didn't just need answers to questions that they might have had. He didn't need them to, he didn't, they didn't need him to make this laundry list justification for why he did what he did. He knows that in that moment, they don't need a guide for how to grieve well. He knows that in that moment, what they need is for death to be defeated. That's the need that he sees. And that's the need that he meets. He gets up, he walks to the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come out. And he does. And Jesus shows everyone, he says, man, this is what you need. You need someone to come out of that grave. You need someone to give you a better way. You need someone to defeat these horrible things that are holding you down, that are rooted in sin and the destruction that was brought about when that world was first distorted back in the garden. When you believe that lie, that I don't love you. He says, this 
is what you need. So when Paul talks about what our life is in Christ in the book of Galatians, this is exactly the point that he makes. He says, you've got to realize that your life is completely different because Jesus defeated death. Not because he healed wounds, not because he gave answers, not because he lended you life advice. Right? Those things are good. There are other legitimate needs. But the deepest one, the one we absolutely needed to be met, is for the grave to be conquered. And so when Paul speaks to these people, these believers in, in, in this church, he says, what you've got to recognize is that you've been baptized into Christ And you've been clothed with him. And this is what changes. This is what happens. Suddenly there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. Why? He says because you're all one in Christ Jesus. He says he pulls out these legitimate distinctions. Right? Some of them were legitimate. They came from Jewish heritage or they came from Greek heritage. Some of them were slaves and some of them were free. Some of them were men and some of them were women. These are legitimate distinctions. But he says that's not what defines you. He says, you've got to look past your occupation or your background or your behavior or your sexuality and you've got to see your Savior. He says, that's the identity that you have. Jesus sees us in our confusion and he brings clarity with a new identity that we would be made alive in him. That's who we are. We were dead. And we were made alive. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that's your identity. That's the root. That's the ultimate definition of who you now are. That you are the dead who have been made alive. And that's the identity that we champion. I mean, that's the identity that we rally behind. That's the thing. That's the truth that we celebrate. Why we recognize that, man... Our sexual biology, our sexual behavior, those things are never going to fully determine purpose, value, or identity. Only Jesus Christ can provide that value and purpose that meets the deepest desire of our souls. So this is what we rest upon. This is what we proclaim. This is why we sing. This is why we worship. And this is why we weep. Because every single one of us has pushed back on this. Every single one of us has had hang-ups and issues with who God is, with what he's done. We question, is he good? Does he love us? Does he know what's best? We've all walked through that and are still walking in it. And so it's right to weep. It's right to walk alongside of someone and just ask way more questions than provide answers. It's right to mourn with them in the struggle that they're facing and the brokenness that was brought by sin. It's why we weep, but it's also why we worship. In a community of people who are coming from every perspective, who are coming from every background, who are coming from every behavior, we can rally behind and rejoice in this truth that death has been defeated by a God who loves us. So let's ask him to keep us centered in that identity as we move forward. 
God, we thank you that you've given us this incredible promise that we can know you and that, God, that we can be agents that you use to make yourself known. That, God, that we can walk boldly into this life, into this world with this truth quick on our lips that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. God, there's some of us right now that that's a realization that we are just now coming to. That that's a reality that we're just now willing to accept. The Spirit of God, God, your Spirit is convicting some of us in our hearts right now. Calling us to believe, to call on the name of Jesus Christ for that deliverance, for that promise, for that new life, for that new purpose, for that new identity. So, man, if that's you, if you are feeling the conviction, the tug of the Spirit in your heart, man, I, I would just love to pray for you. And, and to do that, it, it would, I would just love, if you were willing, for you to raise your hand so that those of us on staff can just know where you are so we can pray for you in this moment. Awesome. Awesome. And y'all can put your hands down and, and you can just pray alongside of me. Not that this is some mystical formula, but instead this is just a way to express the change that's happening in your heart. God, we recognize that we are broken. God, we recognize our need for a healer, for a conqueror, for a savior. God, we recognize that Jesus Christ came to forgive us of our wrongful desires. God, to point us in a better direction. So God, we, we, we trust in him to bring us into the life that we so desperately long for. I mean, my encouragement to you, if you just prayed that with me, is that you are now, you're now a daughter of God. You're now a son of the Lord Most High. You are stepping into a new identity. You're walking a new path. For the rest of us, maybe we've been on that path for, for some amount of time and, and yet we still need to come back to this truth. We need to cling to this identity that we are the dead made alive in Christ. And so you should be asking God in these next few moments, just in the quiet of your heart, ask him, say, God, show me what needs to change. God, where am I not surrendering myself to your direction? God, where am I choosing to follow my own distorted desires in favor of your own? then ask him, say, God, show me not just where can I better walk in in submission to your will, but God, who can hear about this? Who can I approach to to hold me accountable to this change? God, who can I approach and, and simply just share the beauty of what I've learned about you? The conversation that I can have where I just want to hear from this person and point him to Christ. Ask God to bring those things to mind right now. What can change and who should hear? Take this time and pray that.